Brother Ken, let's remain standing for prayer now. I'm going to ask Brother Cassie to open us up in prayer. I want you to really lift up Sister Saul today. The family is down there uh, with her right now. Of course, we've got several in our church who are part of her family. Uh, just remember her, if you would. And, of course, Sister Patsy Gunner as well. Uh, they're in the hospital. And we've got many, many others that we're praying for. But wanted to bring those to special attention tonight that the Lord would have his way there. Brother Cassidy, open us up in prayer, if you would, please. Let's pray together. Brother Gerald. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come back into your house. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you have given us. Lord, we thank you most of all for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid our sin debt in full, Lord. We pray for the ones that are sick. There are so many in, in the congregation, so many in the community, Lord, that are hurting from one thing or another, Lord. You know the the reason you yep. know the cure Lord we just put it all in your hands and we just pray that you will heal according to your will Lord we pray for our pastor tonight as he brings forth the message Lord help him to be what is pleasing and honoring to you Lord just hide him behind you and just speak through through him Lord we just thank you for everything that you do for us for our missionaries Lord we pray that you'll give them souls for their labor help them to just be always in in your will Lord, we thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm glad God still saves old sinners. You listen now as Brother Ken sings. Poor and 
religion serves the God of their choice, but salvation still comes in one name. And that name is Jesus, sweet rose of Sharon, spotless and pure Lamb of God. Jesus, Lion of Judah, promised Emmanuel, God's Son. Jesus, my Lord and Creator, who witnessed and conquered the grave. Jesus is world's only Savior. Jesus, what a wonderful name. Lord of all glory, the crown king of kings, all creation will thunder his name. And that name is Jesus, sweet rose of Sharon, spotless and pure lamb of God. Jesus, lion of Judah, promised Emmanuel, God's son. Jesus, my Lord and cold in here. Come stand in this choir for two seconds. You'll be changing your tune. Good golly, Miss Molly. 
Thank you for being back tonight. Quick announcements again, Junior Camp. Thank you for those that have signed up. Don't forget you got until next Sunday to sign up. We got to turn that information in. Help us out with that if you would, please. Uh, two weeks from today, wedding shower on Sunday morning. That begins at 9.30 a.m., not 9.45 as Sunday school normally begins, but 9.30 for uh, Cameron and Courtney. And then, of course, Senior Saints, we're meeting Thursday morning, 9.30, excuse me, 8.30. Heading up, don't forget your pictures. Uh, we sure appreciate that uh, this evening. All right. Fellas, come on and make your way down this evening. Uh, you mind the Lord with His tithes and your offerings, and and though that little did you that little group's gonna sing tonight. All right, this is kind of a last minute practice this evening, and I like this song. So those that are getting ready to sing, y'all come on this evening. We're gonna pray, ask God's blessings on the offering, and I like this old song that they're gonna sing. I think it'll be a blessing to you, Lord. Bless the offering today. May it be what you'd have it to be, Lord. Thank you for the gift, the giver, Lord, the opportunity to worship you in this capacity, God. And I pray, God, that you would just have your will and your way in our services tonight. Bless the song service, the preaching to come. We'll lift up the precious name of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.
is resting in the presence of the Lord. Let's get on the road. That's awesome. I like that old song. That's great, y'all. All right, grab your hymn books now. Let's stand up. We'll have a song of fellowship. Brother Ken, grab you a sip of water. You ain't got none up here. All right, come on. Here we go. Amen. Amen. We're going to do something we learned a few weeks ago. Page number six in your red book. I want to know more about my Lord. We'll sing that first verse, of course. Have a time of fellowship. That's hymn number six tonight in your red book.
The book of Daniel tonight, if you would please, church. The book of Daniel, chapter number one tonight. The book of Daniel, chapter number one. I'm going to give you, Lord willing, probably will take me two weeks tonight and next Sunday night to talk to you this evening about a topic that is, I think, eminently important for all of us. This is a topic tonight that is for the believer, and it is for those of us who are in the public sphere, the public domain. You work in a public environment because I hope you understand that it is not easy to live for Christ in an unsaved world. The title of the message tonight, and again, it may take us a couple of weeks to finish this, is Living for Christ in a Non-Christian World. Living for Christ in a Non-Christian World. Daniel chapter number 1 is a personal challenging testimony for me. It is a reminder to me, and I hope it will be for you over the next two weeks, that we can live for God anywhere, any place, any time. We don't have to wait for God to put us somewhere different. We don't have to wait for some time different. We don't have to wait for some place different. We can serve God right here, right now, right where we are, uh, as we will witness tonight by four individuals that we all know dearly. I hope you'll amen me with, with a few thoughts that I'm going to share just as an introduction. The world as we know it today has a broken moral compass. Our world has abandoned standards of morality, basic respect for God's Word. They have abandoned what is for many practical purposes some of the basic tenets of a society. The spiritual atmosphere of our world today is bleak. We all know that. And for most of us, it bothers us. I will tell you what the impetus was for this message for me. Several months ago, I was traveling for the college. I was in a workshop. It was a session that was for everybody, all the attendees. And this particular speaker who was eminently entertaining was talking about the various ages, if you will, of the 21st century, or the 20th century, excuse me, the World War I age or the World War I generation, those between wars generation, the World War II age, as he called it. And then he talked about the late 40s, of course, with World War II being over, and the 50s, and he called that the age of innocence. He talked about some of the things that were going on during the 50s, the television programs, and he made a statement that I found to be true but disheartening for those of us that have children and those of us that have grandchildren. He said this, by all accounts, the age of innocence is over. The age of innocence is over. I think we understand. I could give you statistics tonight that would curl your toes. Things like the average young female has her first sexual experience at the age of 13. The average young male has his first sexual experience at the age of 12. These are statistics that 20, 30, 50 years ago we would have never imagined. This is 
just the tip of the iceberg. I'm not going to bore you with stats tonight. I'm not going to bore you with details because all of it sums up to this simple idea. The moral fabric of the world that we live in today is very dark. So there are some basic life questions that we ask. How do we conduct ourselves in that environment? We know. We hear preachers say all the time, and we amen the fact that we should stand up. We should speak up. We should make a difference. I hope you'll amen me when I say this. We acknowledge that, but sometimes we don't really know what to do. Sometimes we don't know what we can do. We don't know what we should do. How do we stand for truth when everyone around us, it seems, is standing for error? How do we affect change in our world? Uh, we often know that we should take a stand, but the question is, how? How do we do it? I'm going to answer that tonight, not with my idea, but with what I think is a very clear example of four individuals who found themselves in even worse conditions. The four individuals, we know them by their Babylonian names of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're a fan of Veggie Tales, you know them as Rack, Shack, and Benny. Amen. Those were characters. That is the only amen I've ever gotten out of my daughter. Amen. Shadra, that's right, flashes of her childhood. Four folks, Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, who found themselves in a time that was, frankly, equally as bad, if not far worse than ours. They took a stand. They did so in an appropriate way, and in a way that was God-honoring, they took the high ground in a culture that was driven by immorality and wickedness. Would you listen to me? God used these four young men to affect a society that did not even know who God was. Many ways, our culture today mirrors ancient Babylon. Our experience, our culture mirrors the experience of these four men, as I will share with you in just a moment. So over the next two weeks, it's my hope that we will discover how we, as God's children, believers, can take a stand lovingly, respectfully, and in a way that brings honor to God in an environment that seems to turn its back on God. Before we dive in today, I want to get this underscored and out of the way. There is a way in which we can take a stand and nothing gets accomplished. There is a way in which we can take a stand when we're doing nothing but driving a Bible down the throat of someone and all we've done is make things worse. But there is a way, as we're going to see tonight and next Sunday, we can take a godly stand in an ungodly society and have a dramatic impact on the world around us. I want you to notice with me tonight several things about these men. 
Number one, notice their trials. We're going to read a lot in the book of Daniel, in chapter one. In fact, over the next two weeks, we'll probably read the entire chapter. I want to begin tonight with verse number one and read down through verse number seven. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Just so that you will understand the historical context, so that you'll recognize what is taking place, the year is approximately 605-606 B.C. Israel had been divided into 12 tribes. It had become two countries, 10 northern tribes, two southern tribes. The 10 northern tribes called themselves Israel. The two southern tribes, composed of Judah and Benjamin, called themselves Judah. Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. Some 100 years prior, the 10 northern tribes had been besieged and taken over by the Assyrian Empire. We fast forward to the beginning of the book of Daniel. The two southern tribes are still alive. But now the kingdom that's in control is not the Assyrians, but is the Babylonians, which has now taken over the Assyrian Empire. And the first thing, or one of the first things, that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, does is say, I want the two southern tribes as well. I want the kingdom of Judah. And so he attacks and destroys. And when it says besieges, it means take over the southern kingdom of Judah. Verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, unto his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. One of the things that Nebuchadnezzar was notorious for. And by the way, Nebuchadnezzar is a historical proven fact. One of the things that he was famous for is when he took over, or when the Babylonians took over a territory, they ransacked those houses of worship, whether they were churches, as we would think of, synagogues, temples to false gods, whatever it was, Nebuchadnezzar was notoriously famous for taking over the houses of worship because he very rightly knew that in order to make real change, you had to destroy where they worshipped. In order to make real change on a society, you had to attack the place where they worshipped. So, when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Judah, he did not just go in for the kill, but he would loot, if you will, the tabernacle or the temple in Jerusalem. He would steal the gold. He would steal the artifacts. He would steal the treasured possessions. And he would bring them back to his own palace. Read verse number 3. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. 
children. Now let me. Let, I, I don't. I, I don't want to give you a commentary on each verse, but man, this part is critical. Nebuchadnezzar also knew that in order to really make an everlasting change in society, he had to get to the young folks. He knew that if he was ever going to infiltrate the society and turn these folks into real Babylonians, that he had to get to the young folks. So he would, when he invaded a kingdom, he'd find the king's children, he'd find the prince's children, he'd find the nobleman's children, and he would take them and bring them back to the palace of Babylon, thereby turning them it was his desire to then convert them into Babylonians and notice in verse number 4 he gives very clear descriptions verse 4 he says this is who we want children in whom was no blemish that means they were physically without defect well favored that speaks of the fact that they were physically attractive. Skillful in all wisdom means they were bright and had insight. Cunning in knowledge means they were intelligent. Understanding science means that they were able to learn these concepts quickly and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans they took the best they took the brightest they took the future of the Israelite or excuse me the Judah kingdom and they said in order for us to really destroy this society we've got to take from that society their best young people would you listen to me church Satan hasn't changed in 2,500 years. Our churches today are littered with parents who've walked the very steps that are described here. You've raised your children in church. You've done what you thought was right in church. And as they got older and found themselves in various situations, and various circumstances, so often they'll find themselves turning their back upon the very things that they were raised to believe. Would you look at me? I was one of them. I'm not proud of that fact. I'm vastly ashamed of it. But the reality is I'm looking at some folks tonight who also fit that description as well. Satan knows that if he's going to destroy a society, he's got to get the young people first. And that's what happened with Daniel and his four three companions. Notice, if you would please, verse 5. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. The task, church, was simple. The challenge for this eunuch, this chamberlain who is over the eunuchs and over the captive teenagers was simple. 
in three years, I want you to turn these people into Babylonians. In three years, we're going to capture today the best of the Jews. We're going to capture the most intelligent of the young Jews. We want the best looking. We want the most attractive. We want the most intelligent. We're going to bring them to the palace and you've got three years to work your magic on them and in three years I want them to look like Babylonians. I want them to talk like Babylonians. I want them to act like Babylonians. I want them to smell like Babylonians. I want you to turn them into Babylonians we find ourselves like these boys were in a cultural landscape today where our religious identity is being stripped away day by day these boys were taught not your God our God day by day these boys were taught not your way our way Day by day, these boys were taught not your culture, not your lifestyle, not your way of worship, not your situation, not your God, but you are becoming one of us. The captors would might say something like this. We are molding you into our image. I want to stop and say, again, we call it today brainwashing. And you listen to me carefully. Our enemy is an expert at it. Our enemy is an expert at brainwashing. You explain to me how a young person can be years and years seated in a pew of a church on fire for God, doesn't want to miss a service there every time the doors are open. And in a matter of weeks, days, months, years, uh, they've turned their back upon everything that they were raised, turned their back on everything that they valued. Uh, our enemy delights in brainwashing our kids, causing them to question and doubt the very foundational truths of the Word of God. How do I know that? Nowhere is that more evident than in verse number 7. Notice what it says. Unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave names. Please note this, church, that in order to make the transition complete, Babylon said, We must change your name. You've heard me say repeatedly that names of people and places in the Old Testament have meanings. As you're about to see the names of these four men, these four young teenagers, by all account, we think they were somewhere approximately between 14 and 17. The names of these young boys meant something to the Jews. Babylon said, we can't have that. We can't have every time we say your name, you remembering the thing that we brought you out of. So we're giving you a new name. You'll note in verse 7 it says, For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, or Belteshazzar. Daniel means Jehovah, or God is my judge. His name is changed to Belteshazzar, which means Baal is the protector of my life. 
Think about that, church. You've grown up for 15 years, and every time you've said your name, every time your parents have called your name, it has reminded you that God is my judge, and now you've been changed. Your name now means Baal is my protector. Notice the next one. To Hananiah of Shadrach. In other words, Hananiah, his name meant Yahweh is gracious. Hananiah, his name has changed to Shadrach, which means servant of Aku. Aku was one of the Babylonian gods. The next one says, of, to Mish, of, of Shadrach and to Mishael of Meshach. So you've got Daniel to Belteshazzar. You've got Hananiah to Shadrach. You've got Mishael to Meshach. Not surprisingly, Mishael means one who belongs to God. And his name is changed to Meshach, which means now I am weak in God's eyes. And the final one is, of course, Azariah of Abednego. Azariah, his name meant Yahweh has helped me. And his name is changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego, also one of the Babylonian gods. I want you to underscore that, church, because we see the very same spiritual process happening today. We see young people being shaped into the image of our culture. We see young people today through music, through movies, through social media to expose the, the, the world around us. Youth of America are being systematically desensitized to sinful practices, sexual perversions, and that which is clearly defined as wrong is promoted as being right. Please listen. This is not just true of youth, but true of all of us. Christians, especially Christian youth, find themselves in an environment where they want desperately to fit in. I say this so often, and I want to challenge every young person, every teenager, every young adult in our building tonight. When you see another teenager or another young adult walk in this building... I want to encourage you to be the first one to run up and shake their hands. Welcome them in. I don't care uh, what they've done in the past. Uh, I don't care what they look like. Uh, I don't care what they're wearing. Uh, I don't care where they've been. Uh, they want to find a place where they can fit in. Uh, and if they cannot fit in at God's house, uh, you mark it down, they'll find them a culture where they do fit in. Uh, and if it ain't at church, uh, it ain't going to be a pretty place. As a result, young people often find themselves confused, disenchanted with church, and more accepting of the things that God forbids. If they take a stand on biblical principles, they face ridicule, shame, and rejection. Now, young people, let me let you in on a secret. Here's a news flash, and I hope you write this down and get a hold of this mighty good. It don't get any easier. 
you will not get to a place in your life where it gets easy or convenient to serve God. You will not get to a place where it will be acceptable to be a Christian. We are told today as adult Christians that we must accept what we know is wrong or we will be targets of the moral system that wants to destroy us. We are told that if we don't live in an hour in which we are accepted to go along to get along, if we don't, there is increasingly hostile environment towards all of us. I heard a very famous religious commentator make a statement that underscored my need to preach this message. I told you it would be two weeks. I'm still in the introduction and the half hour is almost over. Listen to me carefully. The Christian commentator that I love and read after almost daily said this, America is now in a post-Christian era. This simply means that Christianity is no longer viewed favorably. And mark it down, church, I don't care who's in the White House. Christianity... The fundamental beliefs of this scripture are no longer popular in our culture today and no longer accepted in our culture today. One of the things that absolutely boggles my mind, and this is not a political statement but a statement of fact, those who scream to preach tolerance the most are tolerant of everybody except Christians. It means that the world has rejected Christianity and its God in favor of secularism. It means that, unfortunately, Christianity is no longer accepted. And here's what guts me the most. It often means that mainline churches have to adopt or have chosen to adopt the values, the culture, and the worldview of the secular world in order to remain real. What used to be sin is no longer sin. That's where we are today, church. But you listen to me carefully. Even in the middle of that environment, there was a remnant of four boys who said, we're going to take a stand. We're going to do it the right way. We're not going to spit in their face. We're not going to insult them. I'm going to show you this next week. We're not going to inflame them. We're not going to anger them. We're going to lovingly take a stand and show them that God's way always is the best way. We fast forward 2,600 years, and our culture today is just as bad as Babylon. And I'm not here to pastor any other church but little SAGBC, but you hear me and hear me well. There are plenty of churches today that have chosen to accept that which God says is unacceptable and chosen to conform to those things that God says are nonconformist and chosen to become worldly in an effort to attract the world and you listen to me, thank God there's still a remnant of a few folks who will say we're going to take a stand lovingly and in a way that honors God Christians today 
are less accepted than any time in American history. And I'll say again, I don't care who's in the White House, who's in the legislature, or who becomes the next Supreme Court judge, and I follow that stuff religiously. I love it. But you listen to me carefully. I've read my Bible, and I know it ain't going to get better. Next week, we're going to look at how these boys took a stand. We're going to look at what these four boys did. How they courageously stood up in the midst of an attempted social conversion and said, we're still going to serve our God. We're still uh, going to stay with the one that's brought us to this point safe thus far. I want to challenge you this week. Before next Sunday night's message, read Daniel chapter 1. And what you will get is a blueprint for how you take a stand for God in a godless society. Let's stand to our feet tonight. That's part one. That's the intro. Next week, we're going to get in depth. And I'm going to ask Brother Ken just to sing us one verse tonight. One simple verse. And I'm going to ask you to do something for me, folks. Let's just gather around all that are able to. Let's just get around the altar. I don't do this very often, but if you're physically able, let's just gather around this altar tonight. Let's pray for our church, our churches, plural, our society. Pray for our pastors who are still trying to take a spiritual stand. Pray for those in our congregation who are physically suffering many battles and then pray if you would for the spiritual needs of our community I want Brother Ken to sing us a verse while we pray together Brother Ken you sing if you would us, God, that we can take a stand for what's right in a godly 